This is the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast, where we explore the beauty of Judaism, the depth of Jewish wisdom, and how to live a more empowered life. Welcome, friends, to the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast. I'm sitting here with a good, good friend of mine, one of the smartest people that I know. He has a thriving practice and therapy, working primarily with uh, couples, married couples, rebuilding, building marriages, rebuilding marriages, and uh, a very, very lovely fellow and an honor to be sitting here with you, Rabbi David Fredman. Welcome to the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast. Thank you, Rabbi Buxbaum Shlomo. It is great to see you here, and I appreciate you inviting me on. You know, there's nothing, there isn't really like a built-in time in the Jewish calendar to just work on our marriages and our relationships. You know, every every we have all of these different holidays that have different features, but there's no like built-in time, you know? So some people are always working on their marriage because they need to, and some people are never working on their marriage. But I feel like it's always nice when there's something in the year, something in the calendar that sort of like, you know, wakes us up, locks us in and, and, and reminds us like, even if you're not working on your relationship, like just maybe you should think about it a little bit now. So... The Talmud already thousands of years ago speaks about this day, the 15th day of the month of Av, Tuba Av, which was a day that was primed for Shaduchim. The men, the single men and the women used to go out into the field and they used to find one another and make all sorts of matches. And now you find more and more, especially in Israel, that the 15th day of Av is kind of like this like Israeli Valentine's Day, you know? So I feel like, why not? Like, let's use it to talk about to talk about relationships and to talk about marriage. So who better? Who better than my good friend Rabbi Fredman? So, are you ready? Let's talk a little bit about. I, how know, to I actually thought you were going. I thought I thought you were going to say you talk about a plug for speed dating, but uh, <laughs> and also the, the time of you know when I think about the time of the year that we work on our marriage, I I really thought you were going for Erev Shabbos. There's nothing mm. like a good Erev Shabbos tension. Exactly. Have the opportunity to work on the marriage. Exactly. When the heat is turned up. Well, you know, listen, you know, we, we have spoken about dating on this podcast. We have, but our audience, we have a very diverse audience. We have singles that listen and marrieds that listen. So let's try in our time today, let's try to touch on both of those things. Cause you specialize in both as we're going to hear about in a moment, you really specialize in both. You specialize in meeting with couples who are, uh, looking to get married and helping them decide whether they are right for each other or once they've made that decision, giving them the tools that they need to build a strong home. But you also deal with couples that are in the middle of you know crisis situations and really rebuild uh, their marriages or guide them in that crisis situation. So let's try in, in our time together to talk a little bit about both so all of our beautiful audience can really gain from your beautiful wisdom. Let's start. Let's hear a little bit more about yourself. I, again, I was excited to have you on because there's so many interesting things that you do that I wanted to talk about. So if you can share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, the work that you do and discuss all the different pieces. Sure. Um, on one foot here. So just to kind of share where where I'm at. So my I, I do work with couples and uh, and families as well. And that work, I think, was an outgrowth, a lot of the outreach work that I used to do in, as you mentioned, in Seattle and, and Minnesota and Minneapolis, where a lot of what I was seeing was not only the, the education aspect, the work as a rabbi, but also recognizing, hey, there's families and there's couples that are coming to me 
and I want to be equipped to help them. And I had, you know, training as a rabbi to give some pastoral counseling, but I decided that I really wanted to offer something more. And eventually I had to make this decision about like, where, where am I going? Am I going to just go down the rabbi track or do I really want to stay focused on couples? And that's, that's kind of where this has been born out of. And it's been an incredible journey for me to learn, you know, different modalities of therapy to work with couples. And as you mentioned, sometimes couples in, in serious crisis, not sometimes, I think that's a lot of big focus at this point to help, you know, help that kind of work where couples are coming in some really hard situations. We could talk more about what that, what that looks like. So David, I think what, what one of the things that I think our listeners will really find fascinating is your work as a graphologist. So mm-hmm. let's begin over there. Can you share with the yeah. listeners a little bit about what is graphology and how do you use it when it comes yeah. to your practice, both with couples that are contemplating getting engaged or couples that are already in a marriage? Okay, fair question. Um, graphology is handwriting analysis. So the way that I've come to understand this through, you know, years of fingers trained in this. And when I was initially introduced to handwriting analysis, which I thought it was like very weird or it was like a quack, you know, quack science or whatever it was, um, I came to realize that every single thing a human being does is an expression of parts of their personality. And so, for example, if somebody, you know, maybe a FBI special, you know, specially trained person could walk into your home and really without ever talking to you can understand a lot about you based on what's on your walls and you know your books on your shelf. They can understand. By the way, you know what they call that? They call that snoopology because they're snoop, right, right. snooping exactly. around your house, right? So this is kind of like snoopology, just based on what you wrote. And so just like if a just like if somebody walks into a room with a certain, you know, panache, they walk in, you know, confidently, you'll be able to read things about their personality based on their body language. It's that based on their writing. And, and, it, and it's so diverse. And what I, what I've been trained to do is look at those handwriting, look at a handwriting sample and be able to determine what are the strengths of this personality? What stands out about this personality? Where, or where are the parts of the personality that maybe um, need development? Or, you know, we need, need to grow. And so in terms of the premarital work, that's looking at two different people's handwritings, uh, you know, a, a couple that's going to potentially get married, where, where, where are the strengths of this relationship and where are the places that might, they might clash and then what, and then helping them what, what they might do about it. That's kind of in terms of that pre-marriage work with a lot, with all my couples, they actually have to submit a, a writing sample and that's to help me uh, determine what's kind of what am I working with in terms of this couple? And I talk about this with my couples. So they, they submit it and I'll talk about it with them. I'll, uh, here's my uh, impressions of what's going on or my impressions of each of them. And usually they're pretty like surprised that like, wow, just by seeing my handwriting and, and a tree, um, you can know so much about about us or about our dynamic. Can you give an example? What What would you see in the tree Give both the detail of what you might like a detail of the tree that you might see that might stand out to you and point it to an aspect of the person's personality that that may stand out. Sure. Okay. Just the first thing that comes off the cuff when you're when you're when you're asking. So in a tr- so let me just clarify. When we talk about a tree, what what's the point of 
the writing and the tree, just very broadly. I know this isn't like graphology one-on-one here, like, but let me just to, to understand, just like our writing has three different zones, there's an upper, middle, and lower zone of our writing. So just think about like a, a lowercase d goes up, right? Or a, a lower or a lowercase a is kind of like that. So the up goes the upper zone, lowercase a is going to be just like mostly middle zone. It's a middle zone letter. And then let's say a G or a Y, which dips down below the line, so to speak. So there's an upper, middle, and lower lower zones. The tree has the same kind of upper, middle, and lower zones. So if you think about the branches up there, you talk about you know the main trunk of the tree and then the roots underneath. So each of those kind of correspond to the, the different parts of the writing. So what I look at the tree as, or what I've been trained to look at the tree as, is basically a checks and balance system that system that what we're seeing in the writing matches. And if not, if there's a disparity, we have to kind of figure out why is there a disparity between the writing and what we would expect to see from the tree, which is more the external persona of the person maybe versus what's the internal persona of the person and trying to understand that and be able to like give something coherent um, in that. So that's, okay. So far, so good. So far, so good. Thank you. Uh, So part two is that. So let's, for example, you said, well, what might come out in a tree that might, you know, might not even be there or might be different than the writing or help you under be more informed um, as to what's going on with an individual. So for example, typically when we see a very darkened uh, knot in the tree, right? Those are like like a circle that's darkened. That usually indicates some sort of trauma that's gone on in that person's life, which can often affect um, different parts of their marriage or different parts of their relationship, obviously, from, from it can, which can vary greatly. Um, there might be more, more information needed in the tree to help diagnose or figure out what exactly the trauma is based on. Was it, you know, parent, parental neglect? Was it some sort of molestation? You know, there's a lot of things to help inform, okay, this is showing up in their marriage. And, so, and of course, it's going to affect their relationship or, or their their marriage in some way. I'm going to digress for a moment and I'm going to ask, you know, possibly a silly question. Is there always a predictable way how specific traumas are going to manifest themselves in a person as an adult? Or or can will, will a child who has a certain trauma can, can that lead to any type of of of, of different you know d- different behaviors depending on the person for different people or is there sort of like a clean way where you can track you know what this person is acting in a certain way or treating their spouse in a certain way likely this is because the person had you know xyz happened to them as a child yeah it's it's i like that question a lot and by the way there i don't think that i once heard from a therapist about you know silly questions this is a question that doesn't that you don't know the answer and you want to know the answer is a good question okay good good so good. i didn't think it was a silly question at all fantastic um i would say based on my training and and one of the main trainings that i have on for the question that you just asked is called PIT, post-induction therapy. The person who developed this model is called, her name is Pia, P-I-A, Pia Melody. It's a really, really in-depth and, and incredible model. And so what she, t- so I would say more to the latter, many of those traumas, although I'm going to, I want to kind of define that word real in just a minute, because the word trauma um, conjures up kind of these major 
impacting one could be even one time events, you know, God forbid we lose a parent. And when we're a little child, that's a traumatic event. God forbid, you know, we go, we have a terrible accident and we, we, you know, we're in the hospital, traumatic event, big T I'll call those big T traumas. And then I also, and this is more where my focus is in terms of, of, of the work that I do, some of the work that I do, which is little T traumas. And what what she described, what pit, the pit model describes as l- little T traumas is basically um, n- some sort of neglect, but not not in the like the kid was left three days without food neglect, so less than nurturing in in a different in different areas of the child, which can generally be associated with or, or relatively predictable in terms of how this child is going to show up in their adult life. And so to give to give an example, just to start with, you know, I, sometimes, you know, we we see you're, you're at you're at a restaurant and you might see like a 65 year old acting like a seven year old. It's like, why does that happen? You know, that irate customer like, you know, slams their hand on the Well, you better get this there right now. Like what what is going on right there? Like, how is this mature person or what we would see as a mature person, 65 year old responding more like, you know, you'd see like a like a seven year old. And so what this model says is, I'll give it, I'll be a little disparaging to myself for a quick minute to help explain. So I am here 45 years old. And if you put me on the side of the road with a five-year-old and said, you know, we we have two cars and we have to change the tire, you flip a quarter, anybody's guess as to who's going to be more successful quickly. Who's who's going to do it first? And, And the reason that is, is in my family of origin, there was not an emphasis of learning how to do that, you know, hands-on and doing that kind of work was always outsourced. And therefore, here I am as as 45 years old, having never learned how to do that. And therefore, my skill set at being able to change a tire is equivalent to a five-year-old. And in all likelihood, if I don't do anything about it to change that, it will remain so until 120. And so the same way that that skill set is completely, you know, at a five-year-old level for me right now, what can happen in the, the growing process of a child, especially in those formative years, is that they can kind of get stifled or stymied at, in terms of their emotional development. And they can kind of remain in seven-year-old mode, you know, till the day they die. And, and we, of course, encounter individuals like that. So like, how does that occur? How does, what happens in this seven-year-old's life that gets them to remain stagnant as a seven-year-old so that when they're 65, they're still acting like a seven-year-old. Is that? Absolutely. I think to me, and, and I've become more and more fascinated with this, just you know, just because of the, of, of the rabbinic counseling and coaching that I do, and also because of the guests that have been on this podcast and learning more about it and reading it. And, and, and you know, many of the guests on this podcast had great book recommendations. But one thing that I wonder is, you know, if, it, if it's a big T, you know, like I'm, Let's talk about chulent for a second. Bear with me here. You know, you you're you're eating chulent, and or any dish. You know, listeners pick the you know, dish that you like. You're eating chulent, and you're like, this chulent has too much pepper. Okay, why? Because the chulent tastes very peppery. So therefore, you can deduce from there the chulent has too much pepper. It must be that the person put in too much pepper. There is a direct correlation between the bad taste of the chulent because that was a big T. That was too much pepper. Right. But then you might be like, something is off about something tastes strange over here. But 
I don't know what that is. That could be anything from too much of this ingredient, too much of that ingredient. The crock pot wasn't good. So when we're dealing with just, you know, the Shlomo Bucksbaums, okay, be, you know, where where I, I'm, I don't I don't recall any major trauma in my life, um, but I would say that I had my own share, probably like everyone else listening, of uh, little teas or minor teas, right? Um, but for me, how would I? How would the typical? How would the person who only had small traumas in their life and now is finding you know some other struggles in their adult life, like how how does one connect the dots? Sure, and and and. It's a, it's a fair question, a great question. Um, let, let's let me give an example, okay, and 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 to to help to help get us there. Let, let's see, have a you know, you got this eight year old kid who's home, you know, four year old kid, okay, home from school or whatever play group or whatever it was, and and they're it's twelve o'clock, and and they want to, um, and their mom wants to, you know, uh, do an activity in the afternoon right happens across the land and 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 wow time is time is flying and and mom and, and mom and and this you know this child are are baking a cake together you know mom's working on the cake for the family and the this little kids working on the on their, their cake you know little little billy's working on his cake okay and so oh my gosh it's getting late it's, you know it's we got to go pick up your sister okay now that moment happens now it's getting late. We've got to go pick up your sister. What does mom do? She's going to say, hey, Billy, I'm just going to finish up your, I'm just going to finish working on your cake. And then we're going to put it in there and we're going to go get your sister. Totally innocuous. There was no, there was no, now, what's the message that little four-year-old Billy gets about himself in that interaction and his capabilities when mom takes over? What's the, what is the processing that this four-year-old takes about himself in that interaction i take a stab well as you're saying it i'm i'm you know i'm thinking of various possibilities i don't see that there is a clear message there i see it as it can be you know just run of the mill and he couldn't even th- wouldn't think twice about it and i was i could also see an overly overly sensitive kid misunderstanding the situation and saying mom cares more about the sister than she does about me mom cares more about the sister or maybe i'm not capable of baking and mom had to do it for me Right. Or I'm not capable of doing it quick enough, you know, not quick enough. Right. And so, so we take on these messages though, completely unintended more often than not unintended by, by, by parents who are human beings and therefore imperfect. And this, these things, but, but okay, if it happens once, no big deal, but imagine that kind of message again, nothing, no one's doing anything wrong, but that kind of message building up over years of time, what does this child who's now an adult conclude about their ability to do something? Or the parent who, God forbid, is sick and the child has to step into a, 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 a role that maybe they didn't, they quote unquote, shouldn't have been in. You know, the oldest sibling now has to take care of his or her younger siblings in ways that maybe they, they, maybe it, they should never have had to, but wow, I, you know, it's a single parent home in terms of practical living because the other parent is at a hospital or other parent is very sick. And so now you're taking on, this child has to take on a, a kind of a new persona inside of him or herself, which is going to, it's going to um, have residue, if you will, 
long-term because now I'm, I'm, I'm an adult, I can't be a child. And that, that takes on itself um, properties in, in their adult life. The way, the way she structures the model is that she says every human being is five things the day they're born. And she says they're valuable, they're vulnerable, they're imperfect, they're dependent, and they're spontaneous. Say, can you say all of those things and sure. say it a little bit slower for all the listeners that are meticulously motion, taking like notes? Really, I'll say it on slow motion. You know, like, <laughs> they're valuable, yes, vulnerable, imperfect, dependent, and spontaneous slash open. In other okay. words, think about this little baby. Valuable. It's plus one to have you in the world. It's good to have you here, kid, even though you've done nothing for the world. Right. It's value. That baby is that child's valuable. They're vulnerable, of course. Sure. They're imperfect. They're dependent, very much so, and they're spontaneous. They're not. They're not regimented in terms of you know. I'm only going to use my diaper at this right. They're 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 spontaneous. They're open. They do so now. When we look at an adult, and we don't see these qualities. We see these qualities out of whack. We see this person devalues themselves or overvalues themselves. They're better than everybody else, or they're 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 meek, or they're or they've contained themselves to such a degree that they've got no spontaneity left. Like we would look at the adult and say, "How did this come to be? Where did the spontaneity go in this person? Why are they so contained that they can't just, you know, say say it?" Or why is this person overly spontaneous? Like they're just so uncontained. So we look at these these five and we say, where did this come from? It didn't happen by accident. It didn't happen by magic. It happened through shaping this child's life with repeated messages, either overt or or covert, you know, let's say overt or covert um, neglect or trauma, or let me put it in the most kindest way less than perfectly nurturing that 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 the adult emerges with some sort of something in the any of these areas or all of these areas which a little bit out of whack or a lot out of whack and so we start to trace that in the work that we do in this inner child work yeah to help the way she describes it parent or reparent the unparented parts Hmm. in other words the same way back to my analogy about my inability currently my lack of skill in changing a tire, we would have to say, hey, look, David, you want to learn how to change a tire? You're going to have to go back to school. You have to go to a mechanic, go to somebody who's capable and teach you. It's the same way with our personalities are these parts that are underdeveloped or it's like, we got to go back into that part to help, you know, reparent it in in a healthier way. So how much would you say that this inner child work is essential for Every one of us, that's because every one of us, we're all, whether we're in therapy, whether we're not in therapy, whether we're having a successful marriage or not successful marriage, you know, we're here because we're supposed to perfect our character. You know, it's one of the things that is a central tenet of being a Jew is that one of the, some of the most important work that we do is developing our character. Um, And because of that, when it really boils down to it, lots of our character is formed not only by the big T's, which, like I said, if you have a big T, if you have a big trauma, you probably know about it. 
But if you have a little tea, you know, I don't know if little Yankel who got rushed to finish baking his cake because he had to pick up his sister even remembers that or or will even make the connection that, okay, I feel insecure in taking on projects because my parent used to rush me all the time, you know, because I wasn't finishing things quicker. So the question is how, like, how much is inner child work essential for the typical person who's trying to just become a master of themselves and their own little little perfections as they go through life? Um, do you want to know my real answer or my fake answer? No, I'll give Let's you- Let's have both. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say the real answer, I think is yes. Meaning they would have to engage in this part so if, if they wanted to, I think, I think there's, I think that's going to have to be addressed. And I really, in her model, keep in mind, one of the things that we said, valuable, vulnerable, imperfect. So that means we are imperfect and will remain so. And therefore our parenting is going to be imperfect, mm-hmm. which means that there will be re- residual effects of our imperfection that will spill onto our children. And I, I'm very cognizant and I think about this model and I really try hard with my parent with my parenting. And I always will tell my kids and I joke about this with my wife, like our kids of course are going to have to do pit work, pick post-induction therapy, this model that we're doing. Of course they're going to have to do pit work because we're imperfect and and in as as conscious and conscientious as I try to be, I know that as an imperfect human, there will be runoff of my imperfections on my children. So I think in on one level yeah, they're going to, I think, I think everybody's going to have to do some of this work now yeah. on the other, on the, the the other answer. So I'm reminded of um, an interest. This is a story that happened about 20 some years ago where I was living, living in Eretz Israel with my wife and children at the time. I mean, still the wife and children, but um, we were living in Israel. Our, our youngest was, I wonder what, excuse me, one of our children at the time was going through something and we heard about his name is Rabbi Rabbi David Seltzer. Rabbi David Seltzer is Nachman the Seltzer, the famous author's father, and he's a he does a lot of healing. He's an interesting alternative healer, and I was like, oh, you know what? Let's try it. And it was a very interesting session that I had with him. It was really incredible for my child. It was it was so incredible that I'm like, I, I was I was if I wasn't in the room, I really wouldn't believe what I had seen. But it was like, wow, that was just is the effects of what he did were incredible and like, okay, I want to do this for myself. So I got myself an appointment with him and I lie down on his table and he says to me, um, okay, what do you want fixed? And I said, whatever you see broken, fix. Like, go ahead, like the works, you know? Right. And he said, he said, I don't work that way. He's like, if it's not affecting you, right. I don't need to address it unless yeah. it's like egregiously problematic. Okay. And I, I really took that to heart in terms of my couples, in my terms of my therapy work. Because if I saw something that, man, if this is just left unchecked and undealt with, this is really going to be really, really, I don't know how the person's going to live like this, or they're going to really do a lot of damage. Like they're like a bull in a china shop. So then I would, I would maybe say something. But if a person is living and everything's fine, you don't have to create more problems. Right. I think people tend to come to therapy is because something's not working in their life or some something's not working in their relationship or their marriage it's like we don't have to create more problems so so that's what i'm saying there's there's to both answers but i think at this point i think at this point in my life and in my career i'm really and i'm really of the opinion and i'm quite convinced that really like 
everyone's right everyone is dealing with something i have not met a, a, a person where if you don't start peeling away you know the outer layer you know just you know just just a little bit you scratch the surface a little bit and you suddenly find that they're dealing with something right there's something there so again so i just want to push a little bit forward because by the way i'm just finding everything that you're saying really 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 fascinating and is deeply deeply resonating but i think what i just want to just push a little bit more to get clarity on is right again we're speaking about the the UNI that you know again we're, we're we're identifying we're not talking about anything in our life that is falling apart we're talking about the regular midos the, the every regular, man. what the every man exactly the every man that again we personal development is on our radar we have just enough to make our life complicated but not enough to you know to make the everything fall apart and when we're looking back at our life yes we can all say we 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 can all look back and say listen i i didn't have the perfect childhood i i'm, I'm saying now me shlomo Buzz, i didn't have the perfect childhood but yet what what would be the question that i would ask myself on my long walks which i do where i'm reflecting on myself and i'm trying to grow in my midos and i'm saying okay you know these are the things that i'm struggling in my own midos my own personal development growth right and i look at my childhood and i look back at this whole messy forest of different things no major trauma there thank thank you hashem i will publicly thank god there are no big t's that i can identify in my childhood but there's lots of little t's you know some that i remember some that i don't remember if i wanted to do the inner child work that you're speaking of and really get down into what are the things there that are that that, that are affecting today what are the questions that you would ask me what are the questions that you would recommend i ask myself or a listener asks okay so i'm going to kind of let let's let's figure this out together cuz you know typically when i'm doing this work it's not like giving the the client necessarily like here you're going to go do this work this is work that i'm engaging in with with the client. But let's start with what they're going to start to notice is an area that's not working. Now it's okay. whatever's not working, that's where we're like now we're going to have to work backwards. How did this stop working or where did it where did this stop working and why did this stop working? I want to just describe for a minute and maybe this will help perhaps this will help understand you know and come to, to to help your answer to help answer your question, excuse me. Um, this work is, I would say it's an invasive kind of process. There's different kinds of therapy, as I'm sure you're aware of, and, and I'm sure some of your guests have, your previous guests have shared with you. Let's take, let's, let's use like an extreme difference between what, what we're talking about here, this pit work, post-induction therapy, and something like solution-focused therapy, which is a very like, hey, you've got something wrong. And by the way, I, I love solution-focused therapy. It's not, it's not a bad thing. So solution-focused brief therapy even, right? Which is basically like, we're not going to go into all this stuff. We're, we're going to, let's, let's deal with the issue as it is. And, and let's figure out how to help you in this situation. When we're talking about this model of therapy, the example that I, I always like to give to my clients to help them understand, because I like to orient them to what they're going to get into before we actually go there. And I say, imagine, you remember the movie um, Back to the Future? I do. Classic movie, right? I do. I think it's not a musical now, by the way. Just oh, yeah? random fact, yeah. <laughs> and so imagine if you were able to rewind the clock and go back and talk with your eight-year-old child self mm -hmm. 
and have a conversation with that child right. and engage that child. And it really felt like you were talking to your eight-year-old self and you were giving that eight-year-old self the messages that he or she needed to hear, though their parents tried, but for whatever reason, this slipped through the cracks. What would be those messages? So my work in that space, my work in a as a clinician in that space is to kind of be that person for this, for my client. My client is going to be literally sitting on my couch here or lying on my couch as necessary and conjuring up this child, which is a very, very emotional moment when, when they finally, when they're like, when they're literally engaging their younger self, because it, it feels like you are in the presence of this very vulnerable, so powerful, it's incredible, incredible, it's incredible. It's 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 it's, it's it almost brings tears to my eyes every single time I, I do this work. With. And so, and so now they're going to talk to that child with giving sharing that with that child the messages in the most kind, loving, the best parent you could ever imagine way. And you're helping them shed the 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 false beliefs, which they have taken on, which they've lived with for so long, for often for years or decades to help them shed that in order to heal that and grow that part up. And so, you know, when you say like, give me, give me a quick tool for pit as it relates to, you know, if I want to, if I'm walking, going on that walk, I, I think the first question is first point to start to realize in this work is to recognize where does the inner child start? And where do I know is where, where is that part? What is that vulnerable part inside of me? Just to recognize it. It shows up in the, in the places in our life. It's like my first like diagnostic criteria. When something is not moderate, that is a good indicator. Why am I, I'm acting not moderate mm -hmm. in this way. That can be in, in any area that could be in how they relate to other people. How, so let's see what is going on there. What's that inner child crying out for longing, missing. I think those are things to think about. So when we think about that inner child, it's like he or she is there. That part of me is there. What are they crying out for? What are they longing for? What do they really need to be nourished inside of them? And then, and then that's the work. That's the pit work is to mm. help that process. I love it. Uh, this is so, so wonderful. So fascinating to me. Fascinating to me. I could talk about it all day. Let's let's gently, gently move back to speaking about this just in the context of a uh, of a, of a couple working on their marriage, because I imagine when they start out on this, they're meeting with you together. And this seems to be very personal, private work. And I cannot possibly imagine that someone who is already in a hurting relationship can do this sort of work in the presence of the other person who is, you know, who's hurting them in their life. Am, am I correct about that? Is it at some point, do they need to separate to be able to do this work? So yeah, probably. I will also say that, you know, depending, I will engage this kind of work or outsource it as necessary when I see that these blocks are so entrenched that we can't, for whatever reason, we're not going to be able to make the kind of progress that the, that we would want to make because something is so, you know, so entrenched in, in, in the dynamic. In other words, one of these childhood traumas, little t traumas that has so, you know, 
wormed their way into the person's you know daily you know life and 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 they can't move past it and it's therefore it's affecting the the couple's work mm-hmm. and so then we'll either then either i'll do that work or i'll outsource it to you know make a referral um i will say and 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 i've learned some i've learned some lessons over the years when a couple has created a safe environment with each other and and i can do that work with the other party involved that is incredibly connecting for the couple and can be so healing because imagine watching your spouse go through this process and it is very very delicate and it is as i said before it's invasive it's invasive in the most like private that's what almost every client is going to be in tears um, because it's so so touching to see your child that you really don't realize is actually there and 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 i get the same kind of feedback after we process a session like that so but imagine you're watching your spouse go through that and 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 i'll say what client clients have told me and i don't always and not every time that i'm going to do this work am i going to sit with both of them oftentimes more often than not it will not be that way because i would have to be 100% confident that the information that's used or it is it, excuse me the information that comes out of that session and watching your spouse in that vulnerable space is not going to be ever misused because that could just be that's just terribly damaging and i had that happen once unfortunately and taught me a great it taught me a really big lesson even as much as i like talk tried to talk it through i'm like i mean you're about to see something the most vulnerable side of your spouse and it was once and it was it was it was misused at some point and i realized okay right. even if i talk this out it's not a guarantee. So I, I, I'm more had a, much more hesitant today to, to include both parties. But it went, on the times that it, that, it, that it really does make sense and they both really want it to be there, obviously would never do it without the person's consent. But when, when we do that, it's so, it's like, wow, I knew these things, but I never realized how much they're impacting my spouse. I never knew that this thing hurt them so deeply and I am so much more empathetic and caring and loving to them for their for their how they show up in the world for their imperfect imperfected self yeah so it is generally individual kind of work but when it can be when the other person's there it, it is incredibly healing wow wow let's lighten it up a little bit let's lighten up the conversation because <laughs> i mean this, i mean this is this is it's yeah. so powerful it is it, so it so is. powerful um but i also want um and, and again I, I hope that this is meaningful for some of the listeners and this is eye-opening it's eye-opening to me i just like after we're done with this, I just want to think about this. I want to go on a walk. And this is my own inner child work. Um, by the way, this was interesting. Just what, like, if you wanted to, if, like, would you, do you have books that you would recommend for people to read, to understand more of just, because again, I, I, to me, I want, and I, I keep on going back to this. I feel like these should be tools that everyone is using all the time, not just in therapy. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but that's why I keep on sort of going back to this. Like, how do people learn more how to do this naturally, organically in their life? It's. I'll just say a couple of things. And there's probably more books on this that I would have to, I don't remember like offhand, but I can't give you specific names. Although The Body Keeps the Score is a, is a kind of a classic in, in the sense that you start to see how things that we've gone through uh, really affect us. Really, our body holds on to. Yeah, so, so much. I mean, that is a winner amongst my podcast guests. I mean, that has been mentioned so many times, and I actually read the book cover to cover. It is intense, though. 
intense, intense. I mean, the, the, the cases that they use are so, I mean, those stories are like horrific. They're, it's almost hard to relate to, I think, for the, for the you know, the, the layman. Right. There's another one in that similar kind of bracket, so I, I'm, but I'll just say it. It's, it didn't start with you. His name is uh, Mark Wolin. Um, but you also kind of see, wow, like this intergenerational, how things can go so deep in intergenerationally and how much they can really still affect us. You know, things that happen to our parents wow. and grandparents, how they thread themselves through in our lives. That sounds um, fascinating. It, it, it's incredible. And I, I'm just trying to think of... I'll have I'll have to come back to you in in terms of some of the maybe a lighter, what's those light therapy work that deal with inner inner trauma yeah. inner childhood? I'm I'm sure they're out. There. I'm sure they're out. There. I no, but David, am, am I wrong when I'm saying this that this should be something that that we should all be thinking about in all of our work, not only in the context of therapy, or or, or am I oversimplifying? Am I am I trying to you know put a power tool in the hands of a five year old? I think when you start to have exposure to it, you're able to see it and work with it a little more than than because you know what to do with it. In other words, what do I do? Let's say let's say I brought somebody to their inner child, right? Let's say it was the first because it takes a few sessions where to the to, to they understand where my clients understand what's going on, so that they can start to interact with their inner child appropriately. Right? That's the that's the thing because the inner child shows up. I remember one of the people who was training me in this, and she says uh, she says. She said, my inner child shows up at these meetings. It's my inner rebellious teen. My 16-year-old rebellious teenager shows up at these meetings. And she says, I need to have like a good one-on-one with her in those moments and be able to like talk her down, like, you know, and, and give her what she needs so that she's not so, you know, aggressive or abrasive in these meetings. Right. And and it's like, if you know that your inner child exists, that's that's great. But like, what do I do? What do I appropriately how does my functional adult self appropriately address this, you know, this this rebellious teen that's going on? I, I say this, to, and, and this is where it shows up in the couple's work. Hmm. I always say this. I say, you know, two adults having a conversation is usually pretty enjoyable. And an adult with a child is also totally fine because the adult knows how to handle themselves and they know how to handle the child. The biggest challenge that happens is that when when the, one person's inner child elicits the other person's inner child, mm-hmm. and now you've got two eight-year-olds on the playground with no supervision, right. that's a recipe for disaster. So what happens in our couple's dynamic is oftentimes the couples get into such bad spirals. It's like, well, they're not really the adult person in the room. There's two inner, there's two children in the room who are like ready to go and ready to attack. And that's when really bad stuff happens with couples. That's when really harmful things are said because there's no functional adult person controlling the situation, you know, mm-hmm. managing mm-hmm. the situation. It's like right. two, like, and we get huffy and we get, we, we, and it's like we're, we're, we're playing off of each other. And so, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought on that. And, but, but I wanted to show where that's coming out in the couple's work and is where does this childhood stuff happen? It's not only in, in, the, in, in their ability to effectively like learn tools, but it happens in their daily because the, you know, one childhood's, you know, sensitivity is bringing out the other ones yeah. and we'll call them emotional allergies. Wow. Emotional allergies. Like my eldest has peanut allergies. Yes. He's the guy you sit on the plane and you 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 just want to have you just want to have your peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or and peanut, they're those, suffocating. He's the guy three rows ahead who's like you know he's 
is breaking out. They break out. He's red. Like, why does one have my peanuts? Like, so we all have emotional allergies to things that other people do. We Mm -hmm. become very sensitive to them, especially our spouses. And so our spouses, even not even real. Why are you acting? Why are you overreacting to this? Why is my son overreacting to peanuts? It's it's because that's how he right. Whatever is going on and whatever has happened to his system that the, it, it is so sensitive to peanut allergy, to right and and it's even if it's in the air, we're kind of like that way with other people, especially our spouses. So we can trigger these traumas, even the, the, these these allergic reactions, so like so strongly and so quickly because they're these unprocessed pain points. That, mm-hmm. that that just remain. There's another book, by the way, if you want something that just reminded called The Untethered Soul. I forgot his name. Michael, oh, I forgot his last Michael name. Michael something, yeah. Yeah. I'd say that's related. I love that book. Some I haven't related. read the whole thing, but I do love that book. Yeah, some, some related, he calls them samskaras, which are these kind of, we'll, we'll call these emotional allergies that kind of build up if you, yeah. want, if you get that book. So again, lightening it up. This is when I said before I wanted to lighten it up. Yeah, I just can't lighten it up. I'm... No, no, no. So here, here's some of the things I want to know from you, what do you see as some of the things that healthy couples are doing from the beginning of their marriage that is really keeping their marriage strong? What are the the, the healthy habits, the things that, like, what's really, really going on? Give us an unfiltered list of things that, that couples that are constantly building their marriage do right and do well. I just finished a book by Phil Donahue, and I'm forgetting his wife's name right now, uh, Marla something. And they interview 40 pretty famous couples um, who have had really long-term relationships. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the book, I was listening to it on audiobook, and I'm just forgetting the name right now, I apologize. And they say like, we see there's like millions of tools. So like, I just, so, just to start with, there's there's a lot of great things that couples can do to to help themselves. Um, I want I want to suggest a few of them. Believing your spouse is one of them. Now, when I say that, I don't mean believing them in the conventional sense. Like, um, did you uh, go to the grocery store? Yes, <laughs> I believe that you went there. When I say believing them. Believing that their experience or their feeling is actually the experience or feeling that they're actually having. What we'll tend to do is that when an experience or a feeling is un, is makes my life less convenient, I will tend to try to quell the other person's experience. Let me give you an example. If 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 my wife says. I'm, I'm really frustrated by it. I'm really, I'm really frustrated at what you said. I'm really hurt by what you said. Well, you should be hurt by what I said because see, that means I'm not, be- I didn't really believe them. What I mean, believe is like, no, no, trust that she actually was hurt. And now you have to deal with that. Oh, but I don't want to be the person who hurt my wife. I don't want her to be, I don't want her to actually be tr- telling me the truth. So, I'll, so, because it inconveniences me. It, it, it means that I'm going to have to take time, energy, and like emotional capacity to be able to say, you know what, maybe I actually did hurt her. 
So couples that are doing really well is that they really will believe when their partner says they're hurt, they're bothered, they're, they're frustrated about something. They'll be like, okay, let me, let me give space to entertain this, not entertain like a joke, entertain, like, go ahead. You're hurt. You're allowed to be hurt. Let's talk about it. There's a great book that I've recommended countless times called Deal Breakers. Her name is Bethany, Dr. Bethany Marshall. It's really written for women. It's really written for women, although she says at the end of the book, it's for men as well. But there's a certain theme. Deal breakers like, what are like, what are the signs that you're you should keep this guy? You know, you're 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 dating this guy. What's a sign that he's a keeper? What's a sign that he's somebody that just like he's never he's you know can't deal breaker? And there's a certain theme that comes out, and which is if he takes your if he takes your complaints seriously, he's a keeper. And, and what she that doesn't mean that that every time my spouse or that I complain that I expect that it, now I get my way because I complained. It's not what she's saying. She's saying the fact that you complain, the fact that it bothers you matters to your spouse. And that's going to be discussed and dealt with. In other words, if I'll say I'm on a two on two basketball team and my, my, you know, my teammate sprains their ankle and I say, play on. I don't care that you have a sprained ankle. Play on anyway. If I do that, I'm a very bad teammate. If I say, if my wife says I'm hurting, whether it's something that I did, whether it's something that's happening with the kids, whether it's something happening with, with her family or a job, if I'm saying, if she says I'm hurting and I say, you know, no, you're not hurting. That's a bad, that's not a good, that's not a good teammate. Just like if you tell the guy with a sprained ankle, like, you know, you're not hurting, play on. No, no, no. you're hurting. Let's deal with it. But that inconvenience me. I want to play in the league. Yeah, you might not be able to play in the league. It's inconvenient sometimes. And that's hard. It's hard to stop my life and the expectations that I have and to be able to really address and give space to. So I think that is a really important thing for couples to learn to do if they don't have it already, to learn how. And I think believe I believe that all the things that we talk about are skills and things that can be learned. This is not just like, yeah, there's these magical couples out there and like, but that's not me. You can learn just like you can learn any skill set. Part of my how what I bring into the room. These are skill sets that can be learned. They're not just for like you know the the few and far between. That's what Dr. John Gottman's work has taught the world. His research has taught that there are couples who are practicing certain ways successfully, and they change their mindset and they change their behaviors to have healthier dynamics with their spouse or their partner. Beautiful. What what exercise do you find yourself? Do you are there any practical exercises that you find yourself challenging couples to do often when they leave your office? You're saying, go home and do this. Go home and do that. And we'll we'll, we'll end with that question. An easy one. An easy one is go home and and look for the good things that they're doing in your life. We are so programmed to take for granted, and this is how life is, how Hashem, God programs us this way, it seems. We're so programmed to take for granted all the things that happen in our life. We're programmed to appreciate that, to, to assume that if we, you know, that our bodies work in a certain way, we can see and that we can move and that we can walk. And God forbid these things are taken away, even, even for a slight amount of time. Oh my gosh, it shakes us up. It's the same way with our spouses. There's not like a quick fix to just, you know, Here's what you need to do. It's like, these are practices that have to happen all the time. We say, Moda'ani, thank you, God, for giving me 
giving me, giving me back alive today. You gave me my life back today. Thank you. Every single day, we thank Hashem. We thank God for a million and one blessings that we have, that we can see and that we can walk and that we can talk and that we can hear and that we have shoes. We thank God for the smallest and the biggest things. We thank God for the, for the, thank our, thank our spouses. Thank our, if you're wearing clean socks because, because of somebody else, because of your spouse, you ever put on grungy socks, you know, a day or two in camping or something like that? It feels good to put on a clean pair. I said, somebody had to change the toilet paper. If it wasn't you, you have, you have a thank you to give. Thank you means you did this. I, I appreciate that you benefited my life in some way. And there are countless ways that, this, that your spouse is benefiting your life. Yes, even if they're not doing everything perfectly, even if they're doing things that frustrate you. But if you focus in on that, you're tanking your relationship. And so just starting to look at the smallest, smallest things and say, hey, this is how this thing that you did for me, this is how you're changing the toilet. You ever caught without toilet paper? Not, a, not a, It's not a convenient space to be in, pardon me. <laughs> but but somebody, if, if it's there and you didn't do it, thank you. Thank you. And, and But not just saying the words, thank you. You can say thank you in 101 ways without saying the words T-H-A-N-K-Y-O-U. You can say thank you with a look. You could say, hey, I noticed this. I noticed that there was, I noticed that you bought this thing. I noticed that there, I noticed that the cereal that I like is on the, is on the shelf. And I, man, I didn't purchase it. I noticed that. Notice, notice, notice. Notice all the good, yummy things that your spouse brings to you. That's a practice. Love it. David, wow. Wow, wow, we. Is there any place that people can find more of your wonderful wisdom? Can people follow you if they'd like? You can follow me on Instagram, David Fredman one and you can always reach out to me on my website, betterwayrelationships.com. We didn't even talk about Shana Rishona gift, but what are we going to do? Shana Rishona gift.com and uh, also my relationship intensives. Relationship tell us intensive. quickly. Why don't you tell us just quickly, just before we end, what is Shana Rishona? What is it? Shana Rishona gift is basically let's proactively work on all this stuff early on in our marriage before we ever hit problems. Let's construct an incredible relationship from the ground up. And that's what Shana Rishona Gift is offering. So it's basically parents, friends will buy this package for their, you know, their, their loved ones, their, their children getting married or their friends getting married. And we will reach out, we reach out to these couples after they get married, things settle two, three months in, They've already been gifted this three three sessions to construct their marriage from the ground up, strengths based in order to, you know, have a, have the best marriage that they can. Amazing, David. Keep up your wonderful, fantastic work, and thank you for sharing these deep, beautiful insights with us today on the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast and you can always go to rabbishlomo.com for more great content and resources and to connect directly with me.